Hey there everybody, Kristen here. Thank you so much for joining us this week. Whether it's your first time or you've been with us since the pilot, we always appreciate you spending time with us. We do. That's a true statement. <laughs> and we would also very much appreciate it if you would go rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. Yes. We have learned that that is very important for us. And I have started doing that for everybody else. Oh, like, have you? Yeah. That's good. I can't say everybody, but a lot of, a lot of podcasts that I listen to. Yes. I've gone on and rated and reviewed because finding out that that really is a big deal was, you know, something. Yes, it's important for the algorithm. Algorithms. All hail the algorithm. So, or like the book that I got today in the mail that had my name in it and it said, P.S. Hail Satan. Yeah, I'd rather hail Satan than the algorithm though. The algorithm is not kind to me. To you specifically? To me specifically. Wow. That is a very nitpicky, very specific algorithm. Whoever wrote it had a bone Hates to pick. you? <laughs> wow. All right. Well, what else? What other news do you have? Just to piggyback on the rate and review, because once we hit 100 reviews, we're going to give a t-shirt to somebody. Yes. Everybody likes getting free stuff, so get on there and get some free stuff. Yes, free stuff is good. And, and it's a good t-shirt. I like it. Yep. Oh, we've got bonus content coming Friday. Unlocked bonus content. Yes. It's part of our three months. This is a different type of thing than we did last month. Uh, probably let you guys be surprised by it. <laughs> you always do that. Yeah. <laughs> it's called a tease. Yes. Okay. And uh, that's all I got, I think. Yeah, this is, we have a lot to say about the episode, so we want to keep this pretty brief. Yeah. All right. Well, let's get into it. Okay, bye. Greetings, listeners, domestic, international, and extraterrestrial. I am Sir Lord Dr. David Reed. Oh, are you? You've been busy this morning. <laughs> I've done a lot. Wow. All right. And I'm Kristen Riley, and this is The Cast Files. I am a nerd and a Sir Lord Dr. Reverend <laughs> who has somehow never seen The X-Files. You've been too busy. <laughs> yeah, clearly. And I watched it when it originally aired. The Cast Files is a podcast where we are watching and discussing every episode of The X-Files spoiler-free. Today we are watching and discussing Season 1, Episode 13, Beyond the Sea. It originally aired January 7th, 1994 to a viewership of 10.8 million people. It was written by Glenn Morgan and James Wong, directed by David Nutter. So did you realize this is the first episode of 1994? I mean, I did when I wrote down the date. <laughs> I guess so. This is basically their Christmas episode because they don't have episodes over the Christmas break. Yeah, they mention that it's well after Christmas because I guess we'll just jump right into this, but Don Davis of Stargate SG-1 and Twin Peaks is Scully's dad. And he mentions right off the bat, you're just going to leave the <laughs> Christmas tree up? All year? So it's clearly probably January 7th. It's weeks after Christmas, and he's annoyed. <laughs> annoyed is, a, is str strong. Uh, as far as that man showing emotions, he might as well have been livid. <laughs> okay. So as you've already touched on, we are in the opening scene, and here's a little bit of trivia that I was going to save for another time, but we'll get right into it. This is the first time that Scully or Mulder has appeared in the opening scene. Oh, oh weird. That's cool. I like that. So we are at Scully's house. It is after Christmas, and she is having her mom and dad over for dinner. Her dad asks about the tree, and Scully replies, yep, 
Oh, see, he asks specifically, are you going to keep the tree up all year? Mm-hmm. And she says, yep, all year. Since you always made us take the Christmas tree down the day after Christmas, I'm making up for lost time. I'm more on his side than hers. Why? I can't stand it when people leave their Christmas decorations up like through January. Noise the crap out of me. Even if it's just inside her house and yes. not bothering <laughs> you really at all? Yes. Wow. Because I peek through people's windows constantly. Stop it. No. Please do. Just specifically to check for Christmas decorations. <laughs> not trying to see anybody naked or anything. I just want to make sure they've taken down their Christmas decorations. So that you can either be livid or not. Yeah. That's your end game here? Yeah. You have weird hobbies, man. I I think it's weird that you think it's weird. Of course you would. Twitter, find him on <laughs> <laughs> tell him how, how weird this is. <laughs> All right. This scene is short, but it does show the dynamics well between these three members of the Scully family. We see Mr. Scully is the outward authority. He's the military guy. And when he tells his wife it's time to go, she complies. He tells her it's time to go and she's in the middle of a discussion and doing something with Scully. And she's yeah. like, oh, oh, okay. Yeah. So there's some definite power dynamics there. However, when Maggie silently urges him to be a dad, she makes eyes at him, he complies. So they have a dynamic. He asks Scully about her job. Obviously, he doesn't want to. He's still salty about her chosen career path, which, come on, get over it. Yeah, she's been working with Mulder for 13 weeks now. (laughs) But she's also been in the FBI for two years. Yeah, and he asks her that after saying they're going to leave. So it's obvious he doesn't care. No, he doesn't want to ask. He doesn't want any, he doesn't want a real response. It's the, hey, how you doing? Of questions. Yeah, it was just a bad idea on her mom's part. Well, it has to set this up for literally the rest of the episode. (laughs) (laughs) Because even though we do know that her parents are not happy with her going into the FBI, she's mentioned it before, it's really important in this episode. We also get the pet name preview of Ahab and Starbuck between Scully and her dad, and that's in the book Uh that I haven't read to you guys much lately, but I already knew it was coming. Oh, did you? So there. Okay. Did you see me adjust my glasses as I said it? You're scholarly. (laughs) Now, did you know where Starbuck came from? Yeah. I knew where Ahab came from. I straight up thought Starbuck was from Battlestar Galactica. Wow. I've never read that book. You gotta read more, man. I don't have time. Busy getting my doctorate reverend chip. (laughs) But you've got it now, so now your time is open. It's a lot of upkeep. I see. (laughs) You gotta get re-upped every year. There's all those continuing credits and stuff. So this is the cast. Uh, We will do this with each episode for significant members of the cast, but not Mulder and Scully because we already know about them. So as you mentioned, Don S. Davis is Captain William Scully. He was in Twin Peaks. He was also in... Omen 4, The Awakening. (laughs) Did you know that Don Davis and David Duchovny acted together in Twin Peaks? They were in the same episode or episodes. I can't remember how many David Duchovny were in. Yeah, Don Davis was in most of the episodes, so it makes sense that they were in the same episode. Yep. And then Sheila Larkin is Margaret Maggie Scully. And apparently I forgot to write down what she was in, even (laughs) though I had that tab open when I was doing this. All right. There's a quote 
that Don S. Davis had on one of his pages that I really liked because of the characters that he plays and the genre that he plays. And also we're watching Con Man and he is hating being in sci-fi. Alan Tudyk is hating being in sci-fi. So I liked this quote. So Don S. Davis said, I like sci-fi because it's really one of the last places or genres that has clearly defined good and evil. And it's a place where you can have heroes without them having to be overly flawed. Oh, that's interesting. I thought it was an interesting take. So later that same evening we're still in the opening scully has fallen asleep on the couch as an infomercial plays in the background she awakes to see her dad sitting in her living room looking at her trying to speak scully half awake says she thought they left and asks where mom is so here's a bit of trivia in this scene where don draper don draper (laughs) in this scene where don s davis appears he is mouthing the lord's prayer i was i looked it up and i could not find what he was doing where did you look the internet okay so i thought that was cool the phone rings scully looks towards it when she looks back to her dad he's gone scully is confused but answers the phone her mom tells her that dad died of a massive coronary about an hour ago in the episode there's a couple of scenes that are before the funeral but i put the funeral next so that we can talk about this whole section up front and then get into some of the other stuff. So a few days later, we're at Captain Scully's funeral. A man stands on a boat, sprinkling Captain Scully's ashes into the water as Beyond the Sea plays loudly. On the shore stands the Scully family and Dana is next to her mother. What song do you want played at your scattering of ashes? I don't care. Okay. (laughs) The thong song. All right. (laughs) They can ooh that smell. Oh, gross. <laughs> Why? What about you? For you? Ooh, that smell. Oh, I thought that was for me. I thought <laughs> you were... I'm not going to be there, so it doesn't really matter to me. <laughs> Scully is upset that it's a small funeral because as a captain, he was entitled to burial at Arlington with full ceremony. Her mom says this is exactly as he would have wanted. Now, here's an interesting fact because Davis is, is has passed. Captain Scully's final moments are a lot like Davis's. Okay. They both died of heart attacks. I didn't realize Don Davis was dead. They were both cremated, and both of them had their ashes scattered in the ocean. Davis had his scattered in the Pacific, though. You didn't know he was dead? I did not know he was dead. Do you need a moment? Yeah, RIP to a real one. He's a really solid actor. He is. So at the end of this scene, Scully asks her mom if her dad was proud of her, and Maggie replies, he was your father. Oh. Come on. Lie to her, at least. Yes. It's brutal. It really is. Why would you do that? I don't know. I don't like it. No. So far, Scully's parents are both bit. Well, next scene, we're at Jackson University, North Carolina. We're actually outside of Jackson University. Two teenagers are making out in a car on the side of the road, just waiting for the hook-handed guy from Urban Legends to get them. Or Candyman, because Candyman's hook-handed. But he doesn't find people on the side of the road making out in cars. No, but he could branch out. Or what about the golden arm? I have no idea. What do you mean the golden arm? The guy with the golden arm. Where's my golden arm? I have no idea what you're talking about. You didn't have the hook-handed guy in the woods that would get you when you were making out in cars? Well, yeah, you drove away and then his hook was on the the door handle. I mean, we had a few of them because they kept losing their hooks. I guess so, yeah. yeah. I wonder if they just have a, a bunch of hooks in a box. Amazon delivers just hook hands. Yeah, at the high school, every third car had a hook hanging off the handle of the back door. People are getting busy in the woods up in Indiana. Yeah. What else is there to do? (laughs) Nothing. 
Exactly. <laughs> I went to school in the Midwest. <laughs> Nothing. <laughs> or, I guess, drugs. We didn't have meth back then, I don't think. There are other drugs. <laughs> uh, not in the Midwest. Yes, there are. No. No? <laughs> Just meth. Not for teenagers. Just meth for Midwest teenagers. Yeah. Everything else was for adults. The only drugs I ever saw were adults when I was a kid. I did not see a person my age with drugs until I was an adult. Even marijuana? Yeah. It's so weird. But tons of drugs with the adults. Man, you'd think that the kids would get smarter and learn how to steal. Guess I wasn't interested. <laughs> what else was there to do? <laughs> hanging hooks off the back of people's cars. <laughs> it was just you. <laughs> you know, you do need to be clear-headed for that. Yeah. You gotta sneak up. You gotta scratch the car a little bit. Just really get that adrenaline going. I like it. All right. You know what? Fair. The teenagers get busted by a cop who shines a light in their eyes. Rude. The boy apologizes and says they'll be on their way. The cop orders him out of the car he complies. With the light still in his eyes, he realizes the cop isn't a cop, which is probably really scary. Yeah, pretty terrifying. He notices the guy is wearing jeans because the only part of the man he can see is when he looks down. <laughs> and it's bad news for these two. The not cop hits the boy in the face with a flashlight and the girl screams. Yeah, he asks for the guy's identification, but way too late. Yeah, it was rough. It should have ended at, okay, we got caught. We're gonna move on. Yeah, I'm not getting out of the car with the guy clearly making it so I cannot see him. It's rough. It would be really scary. Yeah. If it was a cop too, I'd be giving the cop attitude at 19. So <laughs> definitely giving the fake cop attitude at 19. Well, they might just shoot you. They haven't shot me yet. <laughs> it's true. Not yet. <laughs> they have given me a permanent shoulder injury though. Oh good. That's great. That's what you need. <laughs> <laughs> That's why I have it. I didn't know that. I thought it was the car accident. No, it's my hip. Ah. Okay, well, don't worry, guys. Soon he'll be all replacement parts. I'm going to be bionic. <laughs> Hopefully. Get on that technology, everybody. I need it. Yes, he does. The next scene, we're at FBI headquarters in Washington, D.C. Mulder is reading a file when Scully comes in. He doesn't hear her, and she looks over his shoulder, and she says, Last time you were that engrossed, it turned out you were reading the adult video news. So even off screen, it seems that Mulder has a lot of porn in the workplace. Yes. And I did look it up to see if adult video news was a thing, and in 1994, it sure was. Wow. That's good. It was an actual magazine. People need to stay on top of their, you know, adult video news. That's right. Specifically Mulder with the photographic memory. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> he only has to look at every porn one time. That's it. And then he has all the porn. <laughs> oh, God. He's the internet. <laughs> oh, no. Ugh, I'm so glad we get to keep exploring this backstory. <laughs> <laughs> Not that there's anything wrong with porn or the adult industry, but man, do we need this part of Mulder's backstory? I don't know. I'm kind of digging that he only has to look at it all once. <laughs> That's, yeah. <laughs> he didn't think she would be in due to her dad's death, but Scully needs to work. He calls her Dana, which she doesn't like because they've been on a last name basis all the way up till now. In this scene, when he calls her Dana, she mouths Dana and then says, oh yeah, no, I'm fine. <laughs> she does ask him about the case that he's working because, again, she's working specifically to keep her mind off of her father's death. He tells 
her about the case of the two kids, Elizabeth Hawley and James Summers. Turns out there was another couple last year at Duke with the same occurrence. And those two were kept alive and tortured for a week. And it couldn't have been Christian Leitner. Shameful. Who's Christian Leitner? That's a joke for like nine people. Well. He was a basketball player at Duke. Ah. Who, oh. Who won a last second shot in the NCAA tournament in the same game that he stomped on a guy and should have been ejected. Oh. Against Kentucky when I was a Kentucky fan. You were a Kentucky fan? I was rooting for Kentucky in that tournament. We'll, go with that. <laughs> <Okay>. we'll say that. <laughs> okay. You were a Kentucky fan for that one moment. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I was, in that one moment, I was a huge Kentucky fan. All right. And I've hated Christian Leitner ever since. Okay. Mulder then mentions Luther Lee Boggs, who was a murderer on his way to North Carolina gas chamber. Mulder's profile put Boggs on death row, and apparently Boggs has become psychic during his first encounter with the gas chamber, which was stayed, which doesn't make any sense because... The more that we learn about Boggs' past, the less a stay makes any sense at all. They never explain what information came out or why the governor had a change of heart at all. Any of it. Do you think, so in a little while they say the last five murders that Boggs completed, they suspect he had a partner. Do you think maybe something with that? I guess. And then it didn't pan out, but by that point the stay was already in place and then it takes... A lot of paperwork to get it back on the books. I guess. Seems like they should have mentioned that's why. They should have mentioned why you gotta stay. It wouldn't be a big deal if it was clear what Boggs had done. Because it feel, it seems like each, each time we talk about Boggs, we find out about more people he's murdered. Yeah. <laughs> Up front, he killed all of the animals in his apartment complex. His project. In his project. I'm just picturing that as basically an apartment complex. Sort of. Apartments on apartments on apartments. Yeah. That's got to be a lot of animals. It has to be a ton of animals. Like maybe a literal ton. And then later he killed his family, which is five people, which we'll get into in a little while. And then he sat and watched football because it was on Thanksgiving. Yes. He wanted to see who John Madden gave the turkey leg to. Does John Madden give a turkey leg to somebody? Well, he used to. I don't think he does Thursday I, I, Thanksgiving football anymore. But yeah, though, like the MVP of the game would get a turkey leg from John Madden. Wow. It got real ridiculous because then they started having turkeys that had like six legs. So he could give out, you know, tons of turkey legs to people. Wow. No, I think it's all stupid. <laughs> okay, Scully is a little tickled that Mulder is skeptical about Boggs's psychic ability, even though Boggs has now described Elizabeth's bracelet down to the last detail. Mulder says, I believe in psychic ability without a doubt, because he's got to keep his skeptic card. But not in this case, not Boggs. The thought is Boggs is orchestrating the kidnapping from inside a scam to save his own life. So above average intelligence. Oh yeah. Mulder is definitely taking this personal. There's, there's some stake in this that Mulder has that they don't quite explain beyond mm -hmm. he did the profile that put him on death row. Like, I, was Mulder in the field trying to catch this guy while it was going on? Maybe it'll come up later. Maybe, because I guess we don't see Boggs' heartbeat end at the end of the well, Boggs episode. Boggs doesn't necessarily have to come back in order for... Yeah, but I want it to. I know of all of the ones that are kind of open-ended or like in Squeeze, how he's in the cell, but... It looks like he's going to escape. Yeah. Of all of the ones that they've kind of put into some sort of bucket, if not solved 100%, this is the one that we wish didn't have a resolution. Right. <laughs> oh, and I guess the girls were put into a cell also, so they, they buckled that one up. No, because then at the end, they're going to escape. Well, 
Eve 7 comes and they're going to escape. I mean, yes, but Tombs is going to escape. Yeah, so it's almost exactly like the ending of Squeeze. (laughs) I can't wait till everybody comes back and they all have a party. (laughs) It's just, uh, Mulder goes to a Georgetown Hoyas basketball game and the entire stands (laughs) are all all X-Files. All people he's put away. That have escaped. (laughs) And the aliens that he's just never done anything about. Well, what can he do with aliens? Other people in other TV shows do stuff with aliens all the time. But you, even you, have said, if there's anything that happens with aliens, the way that you survive is to do nothing. Right. Because there's nothing to be done. That's because these aliens get away with everything. Well. Because they don't have good adversaries. They just have Mulder and Scully. No, they have above, above average intelligence. Above, above? Yes. (laughs) Okay. I said it twice on purpose because I was thinking of the elevation. And we've got a bunch of people with above average intelligence, but the aliens aren't even being caught. So above, above. Mm. So you can't be mad at Mulder for that. He's still chasing them. I can be mad at the people that are writing it. You just want it to be all resolved and tied up in a little bow. No. You want it to be tied up in a big bow? No. What do you want then? I want the stories. The arc continues, but the stories can have a good resolution. Could you imagine if these cops had 100% solve rate? No. Well, that's what you're asking for. <laughs> <laughs> I'm asking for a TV show to have good resolutions. That's wildly different. All right. Well, Boggs requested to speak to Mulder after reading Mulder's profile of him. And can you just get a profile of yourself? It doesn't seem like you should. I don't think that you should. I take it back. You can. Why? We can. This is a this is a Freedom of Information Act thing. I was wondering. You, I... you can request your FBI file. Oh, and that would be so weird to find out if I had an FBI file. <laughs> I know. I think we should do it. Oh, do you want to figure out how to do a FOIA? Yeah. All right. Now, I can't believe I didn't realize that. Yeah, of course he can. He can get a hold of his FBI file. I guess it which does make have, sense. Yeah, yeah, which would have his profile in there that Mulder did. Huh. <laughs> okay. I guess we'll figure out how to do a FOIA now. Yeah. <laughs> I can't wait. Oh, I'm glad that we have revisited this question because we've been kicking it around for a little while. Yeah, this is fantastic. We should do... Uh, we're going to live open our FBI files on the Patreon. <laughs> oh my gosh, if we can even get through the paperwork. <laughs> <laughs> this is a great idea. I love it. Oh my gosh. Okay. They mention Boggs' crimes, but they're just horrible. But I already mentioned them. So, and here I wasn't going to, but I already told you what he did. <laughs> so, after this back and forth, this is still in the FBI office. Mulder leaves. He says he's going to go to Raleigh and tells Scully she should take some time off. But she says she wants to work. Before she follows Mulder out the door, she flips through the filing cabinet, through the X-Files, which I loved that the folders, the file folders, had a little spot. And in every one of them, it just said X (laughs) in, uh, in Sharpie. But she pulls out a folder that says on the front cover, Federal Bureau of Investigation, DCX 167512, Visionary Encounters with the Dead. She puts it back into its slot and slams the drawer shut. Did not look at what was in the file. No, she didn't. And as Mulder is leaving in this scene, he grabs his coat off the coat tree and hanging on the coat tree 
is Max's nightcap hat. Yay, Max. Oh, Mulder misses his friend. I really liked Max. I want Max to come back too. Not just all the, not the scary Eve girls. I, I want the cool people to come back. <laughs> and I definitely want Max to show up at some point. Max. Max and Mulder could have had such a best friends. They would have each sides of the locket that says BFFs and it was a little broken down the center. And instead, Max is hanging out with Mulder's sister. Oh! Uh-huh. Yeah. I didn't think about that. Yeah. Max and Mulder are going to become brother-in-laws. I don't think so. I think Max would probably annoy the shit out of Mulder's sister. I don't know anything about Mulder's sister, so I don't know. Uh, plus, I already shipped Max. Oh, that's right. <laughs> Remember with the yeah. doctor? <laughs> All right, now we're in Central Prison, Raleigh, North Carolina. Luther Lee Boggs sits in a chair wearing handcuffs. Kiss and kill are written on his knuckles in Bic pen. Oh, Bic pen, come on. <laughs> <laughs> Um, it does look like it's just written there. Ah, you ever seen real life prison tattoos? I have. Yeah, they don't look great. I guess I haven't seen too many that are fairly new. I've seen some prison tattoos on some older skin. Um, it's like green. Yeah. Yeah. And it's like, I don't know what that looked like originally. I know what tattoos and skin do, so... Yeah. Now, the tattoo on his neck probably is Big Pen because in this first scene, it's just smudged all the hell. <laughs> I didn't notice specifically that, but I did notice there was something different with his neck tattoo. Yeah. Because I remember, I didn't pay attention to it in the first scene, I guess. He's using his entire body to act, and so <laughs> I was definitely watching that. But later, I saw the dice, and I was like, oh, it's dice. And then I was like, why did I not know it was dice initially? It's because it was a smudge. Yeah, it was real bad in the first scene. They fix it later, when you can, and you can see it. But... Yeah. Ugh, Boggs is, a, is amazing. So he's speaking about himself in third person. Mulder is not impressed, for once. <laughs> he is compromised. Mulder is compromised, and it's an interesting look for him. Yeah. Scully is taking notes in the back. Up until this point, the way that it's shot, we're not sure if she's going to be going, but we see that she's in the back of the room. Mulder is positioning himself between Boggs and Scully, and it feels like a power position. He's standing, Boggs is sitting. He's not. It's not a power position over Scully. She's obviously there to take notes, but it, he. it does feel like he's shielding her. Yeah, he's making sure to stay between them. Yeah, and it definitely feels like a power move in front of Boggs because he's standing and Boggs is sitting, sweating, and being a bunch of people. <laughs> he's channeling. He's a medium. He is channeling. All right, so Boggs says, the soul of Luther Boggs drowns in hell's sea of fire. We have him now. Ooh. Which would be creepy. That would be creepy. If Especially I... coming out of Brad Dorif. Oh my gosh. If I ever become able to channel, I hope that's not something that the spirits want with my soul. <laughs> <Ugh. laughs> that would be so creepy. Apparently all souls are connected, the living and the dead, Boggs' victims and others, and Mulder asks if he's a conduit, because we're not quite sure what he's doing in this particular scene. We don't know if he's just acting or, or what, but it does turn out that he's channeling. As Boggs is talking, he's switching from one persona to another, but neither appear to be the Boggs Mulder knew. That's the different souls taking over, I guess. Mulder wants Boggs to prove his psychic abilities, and Boggs wants 
to deal for his life, which makes sense. You've got the, the ability to bet for your life. Why not? Yeah. Mulder pulls a piece of torn fabric from an evidence bag and hands it to Boggs as a test. Boggs goes into action. He's breathing heavy. He's yelling. He's telling bits of a scene that he sees where the kidnapped teens are being held. And when he's done, he's exhausted and just limp in his chair. And Mulder smirks saying, I tore this off my New York Knicks t-shirt. It has nothing to do with the crime. And this was such an obvious bluff by Mulder that Boggs should have seen that coming, even if he wasn't psychic. And I'm wondering if he did, because he still gave them real information. Yeah, he did, but I don't think he needs objects. No, I don't think so either. He hasn't before. But he should have called out that that was a bluff. He should have. Or said something to the effect of, I don't need this. Maybe he already knew that Scully was going to believe him, because he does seem to be psychic, and he just needed somebody on his side, and by giving this information one way or another, he didn't necessarily need Mulder to believe him at this point, because when they find the teenagers, they're going to see that the things that he said were real. I guess. I don't know. There's a lot. There's so much happening. So Mulder leaves. He's feeling pretty good about himself and his ruse. Scully gathers her things and starts out. Boggs starts singing Beyond the Sea, stopping Scully. When she turns to Boggs, she sees her dad. She backs away, startled, in emotional pain with her eyes closed. The amount of times Scully is in this cell with this serial killer with her eyes closed or her <laughs> yeah. back to him in this episode gives me anxiety. <laughs> it's a little too much? It's a lot. It's, it's a lot too much? Yes, it's a lot too much. <laughs> Every time she do it, I'd be like, he's a murderer with nothing to lose. He just told you that. <laughs> oh, I want her to protect herself. <laughs> yeah, she's not really known for that. Oh, all right. When she opens her eyes again, it's back to Boggs, but he's using the tone of her dad's voice. So he's channeling Scully's dad and he says, did you get my message, Starbuck? Scully rushes out past Mulder. Mulder is concerned and asks if Boggs said something to her. She says it's not Boggs, it's her father. And Mulder does a really good friendly, good partner thing here where he's checking in on her, but he's not being condescending. It feels like he's just like, hey, I know what this guy's capable of and you are upset. Did he do this? Because he absolutely can. Mm -hmm. Or what? Like basically what what do you need? I'm just going to stand here until you tell me. And he, he suggests she goes back to the motel. He's going to stay behind for a few hours because they've already exposed Boggs as a fraud, but he still may be orchestrating the kidnapping from the inside. I have no idea how any Anybody gets these kinds of connections. Boggs must have been in jail forever. He's on death row and he's already been in the gas chamber once. Yeah. Doesn't that, that usually take like 20 years? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> so I don't know what the time frame of this is or how he's building these strong bonds with people outside, <laughs> <laughs> but that's impressive. Yeah. I think Glenn Morgan and James Wong kind of took creative license in how long it takes to execute somebody. Okay. You know what? It's fair. There's so much happening in this episode and it is so good Yeah. that if the timelines are a little unrealistic, so be it. That's fine. We're talking about aliens and psychics and channeling <laughs> spirits and I'm fine with it. It seems a it's little fine. unreasonable being mad about how long you're on death row. Yeah, it's fine. It's totally fine. <laughs> 
All right, so Mulder is going to stay back to interrogate Boggs while Scully goes to the motel. Boggs is brought out of the cell by the guards, and as he's led away, he starts singing Beyond the Sea again, which is just the trigger to Scully, so she leaves. And this is where we take a break to talk about Brad Dorif. He is Luther Lee Boggs. He was in One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. He was in The Exorcist 3. And apparently he was Chucky, which you knew, but I didn't know. Yep. The cool thing is not only is this man just freaking amazing in this 1994 production, he has five projects in production, according to IMDb, right now. Yeah, he's so good. And prolific. Yeah, Exorcist 3 is like one of the only movies that scares me on multiple watches. So, oh, I want to watch it again. And it's his performance. He is so good. Just amazing. Well, how did the X-Files get somebody so good? Because we've seen we've seen some extras and some um, some special guests that are amazing. And we've seen some that are just okay through, throughout this whole thing. As you will. Yeah, like Felicity Huffman. Oh my gosh. <laughs> Noted uh, criminal. <laughs> well, here's some trivia. Chris Carter had to lobby hard for casting Brad Dorff as the serial killer Luther Lee Boggs. Dorff was more expensive than the usual guest star, but Carter knew he would be perfect for the role. And he was right. Correct. Brad Dorff, worth the money. Yes. He rang Fox president Peter Roth at his home on Thanksgiving to plead his case. Roth agreed to it, mainly because he wanted to get back to his dinner. He wanted to get back to watching the Packers game. <laughs> <laughs> and you know what? Bother rich people. Yes. Brad Dorff is the second Academy Award nominated actor to guest star on the show's first season. Ooh. The first was Carrie Snodgrass. Who played who? She played Darlene in Conduit during uh, this season. She was also on Murder, She Wrote. Oh. <laughs> Another TV show I watched whenever it was just on at this time. Well, I guess not at this time because it stopped in 93. Uh, let's see. What else was she on? Something called Death Benefit. <laughs> Judging Amy. The West Wing. Ooh, Iron Jawed Angels. <laughs> oh, that's... That's my second favorite TV show. It's a TV movie. Have you seen it? It's my second favorite TV movie. Have you seen it? <laughs> no. I saw it in college. They did a free screening and there were, I don't know, flyers around the campus. And I was like, I'll go see this strong female lead production. <laughs> okay. It was an intense movie, but it was great. I'm glad I went. So she was in that too. Hi, I'm Warren. I know next to nothing about music or musical theater. Does this sound like you or somebody that you know? If so, tune in to Tone Deaf, a theater nerd's guide for their musically challenged spouse, every Wednesday, where my wife Kay, that's me, broadens my horizons and makes me less of an uncultured swine. Oh, Warren, you're not a swine. Thanks, Kay. Way. Tune in every Wednesday to Tone Deaf. Now we are just back at the motel or going to the motel in North Carolina. Scully is driving to the motel. She's in her car recalling details Boggs gave her of water falling. It's not a waterfall. Scully is outside the Hotel Niagara. She recalls him saying an angel of stone and across the street from where she's in her car, she sees an angel statue. So she's, the way that this is shot is she's literally flashing back to the scenes of him saying these things. So she, it's not just a voiceover, it's edited into 
the picture, just to give you an idea of how they did this. Because sometimes they do the voiceover, sometimes they do the cuts in. Scully pulls into an alley, stopping at a door that has a condemned sign on it. She goes in to find various candles, a beer bottle, a small bracelet, and several wire coat hangers. Remember earlier when I said she's not known for staying safe? Yeah. Yeah. Why? Why? Why go in here by yourself? Because she doesn't want to call anybody on a hunch. All right, if Boggs is psychic like she believes, this is where they're being kept. If Boggs is... Orchestrating it? Orchestrating it like Mulder believes, this is a trap. She should have somebody with her. I know, but she doesn't want to believe. She would rather go in and find out that there's nothing there and disprove Boggs' psychic ability for herself. Okay. Then wait for backup, I guess. Would she rather walk into a trap and die? You know, she's not thinking about it right now. She's grieving. <sighs> well, she's lucky that the rest of her family isn't grieving again. Boggs mentioned being hit by wire coat hangers while he was in his trance earlier, so that's why there are wire coat hangers. Because I don't think I mentioned it before. She's struggling with her father's death, experiencing signs of an X-File, and Boggs' statements being true. So, basically a recap of what I just explained. <laughs> <laughs> I said, it's a rough episode for Scully. Back in her motel room. Oh, so she doesn't get jumped. Nothing happens to her there. She does find the bracelet, though, so. Yeah, it's like, what's his face? The kidnapper saw her coming? Something like that. Or he was done with that location. Or Boggs really is orchestrating it all. I know. Unclear. Yeah. So Scully's motel room, um, she's sitting in a chair and she sees another vision of her father sitting across from her. He's speaking to her again, but with no words. And it's another one where they're cutting in shots from before. There's a knock on the door. Scully doesn't respond, but it does turn out to be Mulder. He yells through the door. Hey, Scully, it's me. Let me in. What are you doing? <laughs> <laughs> Scully opens the door and Mulder informs her that Liz Holly's family made a positive ID on the charm she found in the warehouse. Scully asks if Boggs has confessed. He hasn't. Scully admits she lied on her police report about how she found the charm and Mulder is appalled. He warned her about Boggs and is upset because she could be dead right now. Yep, and he's right. Yep. He's also mad because Scully is embarrassed about believing. He says, the Bureau would expect something like that from spooky Mulder, but not Dana Scully. He's pretty upset when he says that, when he delivers that line. Yeah. And she says, I thought you'd be pleased that I opened myself to extreme possibilities. This has everything to do with her father being upset with her career path and her mother refusing to answer a simple question. Regardless of telling Scully he was proud of her was a truth or a lie, but she didn't. Uh -huh. So here we are. Yeah. She had simply said, of course, he was your father. That would have worked. <laughs> Instead of just, he was your father. Ugh. Because what does that mean? It means nothing. It means I'm avoiding the question. Ugh. That, as any child knows from their parent, means no. Yeah. <laughs> Both of her parents are garbage. Mulder asks if this has to, has to do with her father. Scully denies it, and we all know the truth. <laughs> yeah. Especially him. He's a psychologist. Yes. He can see right through her. Well, and so can we. She just buried her father or cremated him and watched some other guy toss his ashes <laughs> into the ocean. That's what I thought was weird. I did too. Some stranger doing it. I just... Just because he has a boat. Yeah, I don't, I don't know. And in the scene, Mulder says, when Scully says opened up to possibilities, Mulder mm -hmm. says, open yourself up to extreme possibilities only when they're the truth. <laughs> and that's not how that works. If they're the truth, then it's not an extreme possibility. It's the truth. 
Ridiculous, Mulder. Absolutely. One of the more ridiculous things he said. Not as ridiculous as, uh, isn't that the essence of science? <laughs> Looking at the National Enquirer and investigating Batboy? That was the most ridiculous. If he tops that statement, I will be impressed. Yeah. And let down at the same time. <laughs> but this is another ridiculous statement. He's having a rough time at the moment, too, apparently. And uh. Scully, absolutely, he is right. Scully should not be working. He's right about that. That's not a ridiculous statement. No, but I wonder what else she should be doing. Because just being at home right now isn't what she needs to be doing. I say drinking barrels of whiskey and throwing oh. glasses <laughs> at the wall. Like as soon as the glass is empty, throw it at the wall and then fill up another glass of whiskey. Then you just end up getting drunk and laying on all the shards of <laughs> That's glass. what I'm going to do when my parents die. Really? Yes. Can you go to a hotel, please? Sure. <laughs> I don't want that around here. I'll do it in their house. Okay. Because they're, they're they're dead. They don't care. Okay. Are they going to be dead at the same time? Uh, yes. Okay. For the sake of this conversation. Yikes. This is rough, man. R.I.P. your parents. Well, that's why I'm drinking all the whiskey. Because it was a simultaneous death. <laughs> man, yeah. Now I'm... And it wasn't even oh. an accident. It was like a simultaneous natural death. <laughs> Whoa. And guys, I'm not laughing at the death of parents. I'm laughing at how ridiculous this conversation is. That's good, because that was my whole point. <laughs> just, say ridiculous things. Just to let people know, in case. Because I realize I'm laughing at <laughs> inappropriate things. Yeah, well, they're my parents. We can laugh at my dead parents. <laughs> that are not dead yet and might <laughs> be listening to this. Oh my gosh, I'm sorry. <laughs> I don't know why he went off on this. <laughs> Yikes. All right. Well, so I guess I'm going to have to watch you when one or both of them pass because you're just going to be in a whiskey haze. Yeah. A whiskey and broken glass haze. <laughs> yeah. Just bottoms of my feet all diehearted up. Oh, man. Ugh. Yeah. We're going to have to go somewhere else. Ugh. Or I'll have to roll up the carpet, at least. <laughs> I don't want you to bleed all over the carpet. <laughs> oh, yes, that would be a tragedy. <laughs> Well, this one is real. I like this one. Our regular carpet's garbage. All right, ready to move on? Yes, please. Okay, now we're in central prison again. Mulder shows Scully an article he planted in the newspaper. Remember newspapers? <laughs> <laughs> Titled, Kidnapped College Students Found Safe. Police Seek Suspect. Mulder explains that it's a trap to get Boggs to call his connection on the outside and find out what happened. It doesn't work. While they're waiting to tap the call that Boggs makes, it turns out Boggs is calling Mulder's phone. And I have questions. Don't they tap all of the calls in prison? I don't think so because you can call your lawyer and you have lawyer-client privilege. Oh, and they don't record those? Well, you can't. It's illegal. When has that ever stopped them? <sighs> I don't know. Can't tell you. I can't either. I am not a lawyer, and I do not work in a prison. <laughs> I'm not a lawyer or a prisoner. <laughs> I'm, I am on neither side of this. How did Boggs get Mulder's cell number? Psychic. Yep, I guess you're right. And what service providers existed in 1994? Motorola. <laughs> I think you're right. I'm glad it, he didn't hit the walkie-talkie button. <laughs> <laughs> Remember that point in life when everybody had the walkie-talkie and they just kept hitting it? I only knew, like, one person that had it, and he was mad that nobody else did. Ugh, I don't know where I was, but I wanted to drown all of those phones. Yeah. Just all of them. Because you still had to scroll through to your contact to get to hit the thing. It was real dumb. It was so loud. 
and dumb. Just make a phone call. It was just so loud. I don't know. I didn't have that phone, but I was so annoyed that it was so loud. I guess that maybe the walkie-talkie feature didn't... Cost minutes? Yeah, it didn't. I think that's what it was. Didn't use up your minutes. I think that's what it was. But, oh, I was somewhere, and everyone around me had these, and they were all going off at once, and I was losing my mind. Maybe we should explain for younger people that you had minutes. You had a set amount of minutes that you could use oh, it was just dumb. when cell phones were first a thing. And then you had a set amount of text messages you could rese- you could send and receive. Oh, back Ugh. when I first got them, I didn't even have text messaging. Oh yeah, I think that I think you're right. But I was thinking the next iteration after minutes was. The- I take it back. We probably got cell phones around the same time because I was pretty late to the cell phone game. Yeah. I'm never getting a cell phone. <laughs> and then I'm never getting a cell phone with a camera on it. I'm a Luddite. <laughs> <laughs> Alright, Boggs asks Mulder why he doesn't believe him, telling Mulder that Scully believes him. Mulder says Scully believes what they all believe, that Boggs knows exactly where the kids are. Scully and Mulder discuss the timeline again. It's bad for everyone involved. In the interrogation room, Boggs is in the same chair as before. Mulder is across from him, and Boggs says, The kidnapper is aroused by the prospect of becoming a killer. The killer's already been a killer. Yeah, didn't he kill people last year? Yep. Ah. And according to something, a statement that Scully says in a little bit, apparently he's been doing this every single year. I thought last year was the first year. I don't know. It was the only one that they mentioned, but why would he wait six years to start doing this? Ah, I don't know. Maybe he didn't have the gumption. <laughs> That was that was worth the wait. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Mulder asks for a name. Boggs doesn't give one, which seems fair because if you're just picturing everything that we've seen up to this point is he's picturing things, so he wouldn't. Is the guy just wearing a name tag? That'd be wild. Although if he can see his face and he knows this guy personally, maybe that's why Mulder did it. Asked for it. Hmm. Another trap. Mm-hmm. But he doesn't give a name. He describes the kidnapper, a human skull earring that the kidnapper is wearing, and his eyes. He says they are dead. Boggs sees Elizabeth and the kidnapper, and the kidnapper is about to hit her with a wire hanger. No wire hangers! Scully is also there, yeah. taking notes. Good job, Scully. <laughs> Boggs mentions the kidnapper is in a small boathouse on Lake Jordan, then warns Mulder, don't go near the White Cross. And then we hear, bum, bum, bum. (laughs) I heard the song Southern Cross in my head. Oh, okay. Mulder and Scully leave to go to the boathouse at Lake Jordan. They go to the boathouse on Lake Jordan. The kidnapper walks towards Jim and Elizabeth, who scream every time the kidnapper whips his own leg with the coat hanger, indicating that they've been hit by this wire hanger repeatedly over the last several days. As the kidnapper is about to whip Elizabeth, a bang is heard. Agents surround the boathouse. Scully and Mulder lead a team of FBI agents through the main door, or to the main door, and they kick it open They all as they all run in. Meanwhile, the kidnapper gets away with Jim but leaves Elizabeth because he can't take both of them at this point. He's got to leave quickly. Mulder runs away, alone, again, <laughs> and gets shot near a white cross. He doesn't see the white cross at this point. Scully covers him with her jacket and yells for an ambulance. And then when she looks around, she sees the white cross. It's not really a cross. It's like a beams that intersect. Well, it's still a lowercase t, which it's is... A... <laughs> it's technically a white cross. I think it's a terrible... It was a terrible warning to stay away from the white cross when you can't really notice that there's a white cross around. I don't know. I think Boggs wasn't really trying to save 
Mulder's life. <laughs> it could be. So the next scene is in the hospital. We see Mulder on oxygen, and a doctor says he's got a through-and-through through upper femur. So we know that he's out for the remainder of this chase. <laughs> he can't run? Nope. What about his Wolverine powers? Nope. Right. They're, they're in the shop. They need an upgrade. Okay, I see. <laughs> At Elizabeth Hawley's hospital bed, Scully and some guy are with Elizabeth having her ID her kidnapper. They are flipping images, kind of like you see, you've seen this scene a bunch of times where they're, you're looking through a book or you're looking at different images to, to ID a person. She eventually identifies Lucas Jackson Henry, who is 28. Now, I hate this guy that Scully is with. And rather than go off like I did last time, because I've had a lot of time to be mad about this <laughs> and hurt and angry and all kinds of feelings, this is what this guy says about Lucas Jackson Henry. Did some time in Angola in Louisiana for sexual assault narcotics nothing big really so what i want to say is anybody who has experienced sexual assault that is an actual big deal that is a big deal and it's cops that are wrong this is what's wrong with law enforcement this is what's wrong with a lot of things sexual assault is a big deal and i'm really upset that 30 years later we're still having to have this conversation i also want to talk about how louisiana is trash i lived in louisiana for a long time and had my life torn apart in Louisiana by complicit law enforcement. So Louisiana is trash. I would like to, to let people know who only know Louisiana as... Mardi Gras. As Mardi Gras and New Orleans and just the, the romanticized stories of the place. It is not a good place and it is not a safe place. It is a poor state and it is really bad for the residents who live there. In fact, in 2019, Louisiana had the highest per capita murder rate among all U.S. states for the 31st consecutive year. That is, that is incredible. People want to talk about how dangerous New York City is or other big cities, Chicago, Detroit, all of these areas. Louisiana as a whole is the most deadly state. So if you ever do visit, just be careful, honestly. So we'll move along. His personal history, the, the serial killer's personal history, includes witnessing an auto accident that killed his high school sweetheart and his mother, decapitating his mother. Scully somehow decides Henry is reliving this particular accident. Makes no sense whatsoever. It doesn't, because what he's done, either the last two years or if they didn't connect any previous, what we do know is last year and this year around this time, he has kidnapped two teenagers this year and last year that we know of, if not more years, and whips them with wire hangers and then murders them. Yeah. So how is that reliving an auto accident that killed two women he cared about? Torturing people for a week? You don't, you're not making the connection? No. Hmm. And I'm also not making the connection between kidnapping a couple versus your girlfriend and your mother. Yeah, I think this episode should have been multiple episodes. Oh, that would have been so good. Three episodes, easy. Because maybe his mom... Was uh, dating was... his girlfriend, and then they died, and it was a Lifetime movie. Oh. I would also watch that. Okay. <laughs> maybe that, too. Was that Iron Jawed Angels? No. Iron clinched jawed angels no. the sequel no or maybe his mom was abusive and i don't yeah maybe we were supposed to do that because of the wire hangers and then the connection of wire hangers yeah to mommy dearest and all of this stuff just a stretch yeah <laughs> so basically i said scully's profile is trash just like louisiana yeah. <laughs> 
The, um, the asshole guy that's there says there was substantial suspicion that the last five murders Boggs committed were done with a partner. And I said, weren't those his family? As far as we've seen, the f- five people together that were murdered were his family and then on Thanksgiving. Yeah, and he sat down and watched football. How did he not get caught after that? It's all very strange. They don't explain him well enough. Three episodes, spin-off Lifetime movies. Yeah, all I right. I want it. Okay. <laughs> and I said, who else has Boggs murdered? But as you watch through it, we start to see different souls show up, and it seems like a lot of people. <laughs> and I just, I just wrote, Mulder left all of that out of his explanation to Scully. <laughs> <laughs> he really did. And unlike in, oh, what was the one that we, that they traveled to Oregon was it the pilot? Yeah, I think it was the pilot where she was reading the case file the whole time. <laughs> yeah, and then she was surprised by something. Later. Yeah. <laughs> Unlike that episode, Scully, I haven't seen Scully read a case file at all, so she doesn't know the backstory either. <laughs> 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 We're all flying blind here, Mulder. Give us some more information. <laughs> Maybe he filled her in on the plane or she read on the plane because we just skipped that part which was fine that's we're gonna have to get over it i guess here's a bit of trivia one of the killers is named lucas henry and there was a real life american serial killer named henry lee lucas he is the subject of a movie called henry portrait of a serial killer from 1986 i scrolled past it on netflix a billion times and never watched it yep back in central prison scully visits boggs to accuse him of working with henry she's upset because Mulder is in surgery Boggs doesn't react. Boggs says she doesn't have to believe him, but maybe she'll believe herself. He goes into his trance and becomes a 14-year-old Scully, talking about stealing her parents' cigarettes and how she feels about it. Boggs also teases her with a glimpse at her father, who seems to be trying to come through to give the message. And Boggs is absolutely messing with her. Boggs fights the soul of her father trying to take over. Unclear how this is all working or if this is real. (laughs) Or if he's just messing with all of us. Can't tell. But he gives her a glimpse of her father and then fights it and says he wants a deal. No one gets any answers. No one speaks to anybody no matter what. Regardless of whether I'm psychic or if I'm orchestrating (laughs) this, nobody gets answers until I get my deal. She doesn't say she agrees, but she does agree to try and she leaves. Yeah, a couple of things he says is don't underestimate my fear of dying. Yes. Oh, man. That, it's amazing. Yeah, of course. It's Brad Dorf. Of course, it's going to be great. But she says that she doesn't believe him. And he's t- he's been talking about the, the cold, dark place. Yes, yes. And when she says she, that she doesn't believe him, he says, Oh, don't worry, Agent Scully. There's plenty of room in the cold, dark place for liars. <laughs> oh, it's chilling. It's so good. It's so good. He's calling her bluff so hard. Oh. And Chris Carter is 100% right. They should have doubled his pay for this. Yes. Nobody else could have done this like Brad Dorff. No. This episode was excellent. Not even Steven Dorff. (laughs) (laughs) All right. The next scene is Mulder's hospital bed. He's out of surgery. Scully visits him and finds out or tells him that there's still no sign of Lucas Henry or Jim Summers. Mulder warns Scully not to trust Boggs. Boggs may be trying to claim Scully as his last victim, which I found interesting also because from what we've heard, again, this is another situation where we need, we need three episodes so we can have more backstory because please. But it seems like in what we've known, 
Boggs murders people, but doesn't play mind games with them, as far as we know. I, I assumed he sat at the dinner table with his family, they all had dinner, and then he killed them. Ram- rampaged and killed them. It doesn't seem like he would go through the whole psychological manipulation, playing a game. No, that's why I don't think he's ever messing with anybody. They have not shown him to be, let's face it, Hannibal Lecter right. at all. Right. Whatsoever. He's just the guy who liked killing people. Yeah. And then suddenly is psychic. Yeah. Or orchestrates another thing so that he can get out of dying. Yeah. Because he is terrified of death. Which would which works also. Yeah. One, either way, those work. Those cases work. Saying that he might be trying to claim Scully doesn't make sense. In in as far as what we understand about Boggs, we have not read his psychological profile. True. Let's let's do a um, FOIA, a FOIA on him too. Okay. Yeah, because if he enjoys killing, then like he enjoys doing the killing, right? Not setting someone else up to die. Yeah. And then, yeah, Mulder is compromised. That is true. Back at Central Prison, because Scully cannot stay away from Boggs, she returns and tells him that she got a deal. He thanks her and goes into a trance where he describes where Lucas Henry and Jim Summers are. They're at the Blue Devil Brewery up by Morrisville. Scully lied, but Boggs knew that there was no deal, but he also knew that she tried, so that's why he told her. And he warns her to avoid the devil. He says, don't follow Henry, leave him to me. Pretty good. It is. Then we're at the Blue Devil Brewery in Morrisville, North Carolina. And Lucas Henry is there with Jim about to kill him. He's got a hatchet and he's hitting a table repeatedly. He's just lost his marbles. He's flailing around with a small hatchet. Yeah, just losing it. It's wild. It was a wild scene. I guess he got his cardio in for that day. (laughs) Apparently. Scully arrives and yells, freeze, just before Henry chops off Jim's head with this tiny hatchet, which would have been real messy. Would have taken a long time. Henry is flailing around some more. He's about to throw the hatchet at Scully, and she shoots him in his shoulder. He drops the hatchet and runs away. Scully's team chases Henry as he runs away, but when Scully sees the blue devil on the wall, she stops. At one point, they're running up like a small flight of stairs, like four stairs. And the lead FBI agent, Lucas, smacks him in the face with an empty blue bucket. Oh my gosh, yes, I forgot! (laughs) And the FBI agent just flies backwards. Like Mulder would. <laughs> Except Mulder would like land on his feet. Right? <laughs> but yeah, this guy just would. like, oh, empty bucket got me. That's right. It was great. It was really good. Oh, <laughs> After Scully sees the blue devil, Henry is still running across this catwalk of boards over the vats that would be brewing the beer. As he's crossing in front of the blue devil that's painted on the wall, his foot gets stuck and then he falls through the boards and threw some other stuff and hits everything on the way down and then lands on the concrete and he's done so. R.I.P. to a fake one. Yeah. Screw that guy. Right? Ugh. So good job, Mulder and Scully. In this situation, you have saved both of the teenagers. Yep. I don't know who was on the case last year, but those teens were not as lucky as these two. Nope. Nope. Now we go back to Central Prison because, like I said... Scully cannot stay away. (laughs) She goes back and Boggs asks if she's come by to say goodbye. She says, I believe 
that if he was working with Henry, then Boggs would have told Henry about the bridge and Henry wouldn't have run across it to his death. And I said, really giving a mass murderer a lot of credit not killing his one guy who's no use to him anymore. For real. If he did orchestrate the whole thing, killing this other guy... Makes sense. Makes perfect sense. And it also calls back to Mulder suspecting there's a final murder. Uh-huh. But he was wrong that it was Scully. Uh-huh. It was Henry. Nice, yeah. Boggs tells Scully she'll get her father's message if she shows up that night for his execution. He just wants somebody there when, when he's going to die that's, like, on his side. Yep. And I understand that impulse. Although he doesn't deserve it because he's murdered so many people. Yeah, but now he's trying to make up for it. You, you don't get to do that. I do not believe that you get into prison and go on death row and then find God and become a, a saved soul. He no. Didn't, he didn't find God. He found a bunch of dead spirits i know but that's what this is all around it's that same feeling that oh he never considered anybody else's life being of value and he actually still doesn't that's what i was gonna say but it's it does really feel like the oh i'm going to my death and now i need to redeem myself and you know what no putting my foot down okay final say final okay not taking notes it. Okay. Case closed. <laughs> so we're we go to the gas chamber later, and Scully doesn't show up. It's Boggs in the gas chamber. There's a guy reading the Bible. I can never tell if they're priests or pastors or I have no idea. Some religious guy reading the Bible. And as the door opens to reveal the witness. It's just some man, some nondescript man. So Scully doesn't show up to get her message. Instead, she's at Mulder's hospital bed. Scully is having trouble believing that she believed Boggs and is trying to find an explanation. She says Boggs could have found everything he knew about Scully. For example, that Beyond the Sea was playing at her parents' wedding. Ridiculous. Back in, so let's say that they were married for 30 years. So back in 1964. (laughs) Yeah. You know all those records about people's wedding songs? Well, you know, they put it up on the gram. <laughs> yes. The telegram. <laughs> when did they hashtag Scully Wedding? <laughs> it's a whole playlist. Yeah. Ugh, just typed out somewhere or on microfiche. <laughs> Mulder asks, Dana, after all you've seen, after all the evidence, why can't you believe? And she says she's afraid to believe, which I feel she probably is. I think that's that's accurate. True. But this entire episode, Mulder is telling her, don't believe Boggs, don't trust Boggs. Then the minute she's like, no, I was wrong. I shouldn't have believed him. He's like, you should have believed him. <laughs> Come on, Scully, what's wrong with you? Why not, after everything you've seen, can't you believe this? What the hell is going on with Mulder? He's on a lot of pain medications right now. Okay, morphine. Got it. That makes sense. I would also be like that, I'm certain. I would be like, (laughs) why don't you believe me that I see these beautiful colored bears jumping around? They're bright. They're all primary. Do you see them? Why don't you believe me? They're all primary? They're all primary colors. None of them are holographic? Nope. Oh, that's unfortunate. Nah, that's a different pack of drugs. I see. Mine are all primary colors, not the holographic shimmery ones. Okay. That's a real story. The hospital gave me a drug one time and that's what I saw. Oh, (laughs) I've never hallucinated on anything and it bothers me. It's like the one thing I want the most. Oh, it was awful. Other than be immortal. (laughs) 
It's be immortal and hallucinate. <laughs> One and two. It was awful. I don't remember what the drug was. Surprise. I don't remember a lot of things. But I was in labor forever. And when they sent me home the first time, they gave me something. And I was out of this planet. I was on some <laughs> other plane. It was all very cartoony. There were dancing bears. It was lovely until I kept forgetting that I was having contractions. So every time I would have a contraction, it would feel like I was hit by a train I didn't see. Oh, you have told me about this before. Okay. It was so mean. Yeah. Because then I would get all excited and be dancing around with the bears in my brain. Who knows what I was doing in reality? I have no (laughs) idea. But then all of a sudden it would be like a train. I was on the train tracks and a train ran me over and then it would all start over again. It lasted for hours. (laughs) I can't imagine that's good. Why are you giving a pregnant woman that? Who knows? Not me. I don't want it again. It was not, it was fun except the being hit by a train repeatedly. Yeah. I don't recommend that part. It was very pretty though. That's nice. (laughs) 50-50, I guess. Uh, Mulder asks if she was so afraid she couldn't face her fear that's being pretty afraid um even if it meant never knowing what your father wanted to tell you and scully says she does know because he was her father i think they had to wrap it up this way because there i'm sure that there are a lot of people that are Mulder and scully's age in this episode however old they are in here who are just now experiencing the death of a parent and so they seem pretty young to be losing parents actually i have i have no idea man (laughs) My mom's been dead since forever, so I have no reasonable timeline. But it it seems like a thing that an adult writer who has their parents would write. Ah. Because that's, that's what you would want. You would want to believe that whatever your parents... Actually, they, they might have also lost parents. You would want to believe that whatever you believe positively about your parents is what they would have said. And I think it was actually safer for her to not go see Boggs because in her mind, she can make up whatever her father was going to say. Like, I was just being an asshole forever, but I'm really proud of you. And I never said that because I'm a military man and not allowed to show any emotions whatsoever. So sorry about your emotional trauma that I've caused you (laughs) your entire life. (laughs) Or maybe he'd give her the same exact uh, speech he gives to Bobby in Twin Peaks that made Bobby cry. Oh, what was that? I don't know the full speech, but, you know, Bobby was the juvenile delinquent. Mm -hmm. He was Don Davis' son, and he gave, they sat down at at the diner, and he just, I had a dream, son, that you were an adult, and I was there with your, and was with your children, and blah, 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 made me so proud. It was deep. It was, if Bobby cried, I think I cried, you cried. Did I cry? Probably. I don't know. really good. I don't know. I cry about a lot of things, but I feel like that's that... That's why I, would, I guessed you did. I feel like that scene, I would just be like, huh, I wonder what that's like. <laughs> <laughs> well, if you are an adult who has not lost any parents, and this ending makes you feel better about when that will inevitably happen, great. If you are someone who has has lost parents and you feel some kind of way about this ending that's valid too it's an ending they wrapped this up it was a phenomenal episode good episode the end we're we're on a on an uptick the frequency of good episodes is increasing yes 
Um, I have a couple of pieces of trivia, and then we can wrap this up. The network was opposed to doing this episode, which is one of the high watermarks of the first season, as we have just been talking about. Oh, I also didn't mention that this is Chris Carter's favorite episode of the first season. Nice. And this is one of uh, Jillian Anderson's favorite episodes ever. Nice. And they almost didn't do it because they felt it traded too much in the shadow of Silence of the Lambs. I didn't feel that at all. Like, I can see the... Yeah, I saw it very clearly. I can see the... I can see bits and pieces of it, but I didn't sit here watching it the whole time going, oh, yeah, definitely. It's more like Red Dragon because Mulder is a cop who was involved with the killer. Mm. So it's more like Red Dragon. But then Jillian Anderson is the Jodie Foster character. Yeah, so I can they kind see of that. it's kind of a mash Mashup. together, and then psychic abilities in there as well. It's enough of a departure, but I can see where the network would be afraid of it. That makes sense. Okay, so yeah, I can see the the shadows and the outlines of it, but it didn't feel it didn't feel one to one. It didn't no. it didn't feel like ice where I was the whole time I was like, oh, this is absolutely this. <laughs> yeah. I love this episode, but this is absolutely this. I didn't feel that way. If you did, okay. <laughs> no. I... Uh, there's also, um, an- the last little bit is, the last little trivia is, while the series is known for its alien storylines and mutant standalone stories, which I like to call Monsters of the Week, it has also dealt extensively in the area of seemingly ordinary serial killers. And I wanted to bring this up because it says that in that Beyond the Sea is the second episode to reflect seemingly ordinary serial killers. The first being The X-Files Fire, which I disagree with. I disagree with on both counts. This one seems like an ordinary serial killer because okay. Henry is an ordinary serial killer. Also, when Boggs was killing, he was also he was not ordinary. Psychic. Okay. But in Fire, the dude's pyrokinetic. Yeah. Uh, that's not ordinary at all. No. So I disagree with this piece of trivia from IMDb. However, I do believe that I agree that they have had two serial killers, but not two episodes. <laughs> <laughs> all right. And that's it. Anything else you want to say about this episode? Uh, no. All right. Who are you shipping? I guess I am going to ship the kidnapped couple. Oh, okay. I hope that they stay together. They work through the trauma that they have endured. They're going to trauma bond? They're going to trauma bond. Well, no. They healthy. Healthy way do <laughs> I'm it. I'm glad you didn't agree with me. I'm glad you backed up on that. That was a trap. Yeah. Well, <laughs> I've never heard that phrase before. So I initially agreed because I've never heard that phrase before. And then thought about what that probably means. <laughs> like, no. No. That's what happened to Keanu and Sandra Bullock in Speed. Oh, is it? And they did not last. It also happened to me in my life. Uh. It's a bad, bad situation. I'm going to ship Boggs and all of his souls. Oh, that seems also unhealthy. I didn't say it was healthy. I'm doing it, though, because I think the souls deserve redemption. Or, not redemption, they deserve... I think they deserve to not have to be trapped in Boggs. Yes, they deserve to finish whatever it is that will get them out of him. All right, how are you surviving? Well, let's see. If I'm 19, the odds are pretty good that I'm not going to be one of these two people a year that gets kidnapped. Okay. So I think I'm just going with the odds. You're just playing the odds. (laughs) Yes. Okay. I was originally going to say I'm not going to be making out in the woods, but you know what? No, screw that. I'm making out in the woods. (laughs) Okay. How are you surviving? I am going to survive this episode by taking my bereavement. Okay.
So I'm out. I'm out the entire episode. My dad died at the beginning. I am out. I'm taking my bereavement. Good luck, Mulder. That seems like a, a good, logical way to do this. Well, 13 episodes down. Sigh. Are you going to say crime scene kitchen? No, because it's <laughs> still going, apparently. As of recording. Mm-hmm. Ugh. It looks like I'm not going to make my prediction. Well, you are not Boggs. But we have lasted as long as Constantine, which was a fantastic TV show. Like the movie? Yes. The same character except Matt Ryan actually plays Constantine how he's supposed to be played. I liked the movie with Keanu Reeves, but that's not John Constantine. <laughs> that's Keanu Reeves. Well, it is It is for me because that's all I've seen. I have not seen this or read the book. Yeah. Um, comic book. It's a DC comic. Got it. Okay. Yeah. But... It was great. Matt Ryan, fantastic in it. He's my Constantine. And apparently he still shows up in the other CW shows every once in a while. Oh, okay. And Almost Human, another great show on Fox that Fox killed because they're Fox, starring Michael Ely as an and- out-of-date android. Oh. Uh, Michael Ely is a gorgeous bag of dog food. You would recognize him when you saw him. Light-skinned black dude with these piercing, gorgeous blue eyes. Ooh. Yeah. And my man, Carl Urban. <laughs> That's your man? I love Carl Urban. He's All great. Right. And he's one of those guys that you think looks like everybody. <laughs> yep. I'm just agreeing with you because I believe you. I could look him up right now and still not remember. So until next week, watch out for Hurricanes. psychic serial killers and the hurricane that's apparently about to start. <laughs> yep. It just started raining again. <laughs> Good advice. The Cast Files is produced by Kristen Riley and Dave Reed. Edited by Dave Reed. You can find us on Twitter at CastFiles. You can find me on Twitter at Dave Reed. That's D-A-I-V-E-R-E-E-D. You can email us at TheCastFiles. That's the with two E's at gmail.com. If you could please go rate and review us on Apple Podcasts, give us five stars and tell us that we are doing phenomenal things. Artistic, wonderful things. We are raising the bar on podcasting. We would love you forever for that. We have a Tee Public store. You can go buy t-shirts and stuff there. Music by Hal Six. Logo by Atuka Art. That's O-O-K-A-A-R-T. 